chapter number nine. And we're going to continue here uh, looking at this third objection. And uh, let's just start reading in verse 19 here. And uh, we'll get some things preliminary here. Thou wilt say then unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? And again, we're, Paul is dealing with that third objection raised by the Jewish community to the new message. And uh, honestly, this it comes by about because of his Acts ministry. I mean, if you think about Israel, for 1,500, 2,000 years, they've been God's people, and then all of a sudden, you're not God's people anymore. God's going to go do something else. So what a stark, you know, ba-boom, here we go. And, it, and what's great about it is it was sudden. It wasn't... The thing in Acts 9 and the road to Damascus is suddenly it, he appears. It's a sudden thing. It's not a, eh, we're going to do this. and then you know, No, it's a sudden thing. And uh, that's, now they're raising objections, and Paul is answering them. And the third objection here in verse 19, really there's two components to it. Why do you yet find fault? Why is God still dealing with us? Israel, that is, the us there, as accursed. Why can't he do both programs at the same time? Why can't he finish out our program and then come over here and be merciful to the Gentiles and send salvation to the Gentiles and do? Paul, we got the first objection. God's word's been working since day one. We're good. Paul, we got the second objection answered. We see that through Moses, he can be merciful to whom he can be merciful. And through Pharaoh, he's got a secondary plan in dealing with the adversary. So then we're good to go now, Paul. We weren't before, but we are now. So why is he yet still finding fault? Then he says, there at, uh, who hath resisted his will? We're good to go. We, we got you. Then in verse 20 at the end, why hast thou made me thus? God's doing this to us. You see, we're ready to go. And God's yet, he's still dealing with us this way. So Paul begins to answer. And he's going to do it in two parts. And we introduced last time, verse 21, hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor. And Paul reaches back into Jeremiah 18 with the potter and the clay, the precedent, Israel, and, and really what Paul's doing here is he's teaching Israel. He's educating them. And the wonderful thing about the issues of progressive revelation is that things progress. And Israel doesn't understand all of her program at all. Now Paul is adding some light to it. Peter, that's why we'll see over when we get over in 2 Peter 3 here in a minute, He'll say, hey, you need to go read Paul to get to grasp what's happening right now in the long-suffering. Because if you don't have Paul, you're not going to understand this. Now, just remember it's Paul and rightly divide Paul. And remember, you know, Paul's talking about a different program, but here's where we are. So Paul reaches back into Israel's history, pulls out Jeremiah 18, the first five verses there. We went and looked at it last time. And he begins to remind 
Israel of the potter clay scenario. If you look at verse 20, when he says, Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it? Who's the potter? The potter's God. Who's the clay? We looked at the Old Testament last time. The clay is Israel. They know that. They recognize that. The believing remnant in the 70th week of Daniel in the trib, they recognize it. That's why they say, how long are you going to deal? How long are you going to let this go on? We deserve to be here. We know we should be here, but we're ready for you to come back and to finish out. And what Paul's doing here is he sets the precedent of the potter and the clay. Now, look at verse 21. Of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor. When the potter sees the clay, he evaluates the clay, the quality of the clay. Is the clay inferior? Then it's dishonor. If it's superior, then it's honor. And we looked last time in Isaiah and Jeremiah and in Ezekiel and so forth. And there's Daniel, you can look, and Hosea. You look all through the Old Testament there, especially the prophets. And when Israel was not responding to the word of God, they were vessels of dishonor. When they responded positively to the word of God, they were vessels of honor. So the issue of the potter isn't that he's just arbitrarily saying dishonor now. No, honor now. Rather, he's responding to the quality of the clay. What's the clay's response to the potter's word? What's Israel's response been to God's word? And you go back into Leviticus 26, and you see the five courses of judgment that fall. I I say that, I I look at you, and you all look glazed over. I know it's early. Go back to Leviticus 26, just quickly here. (laughs) Just so you see this... um, we were, had the men's fellowship yesterday, and we were talking, and it dawned on me that sometimes we might need to review some things because I build on the previous studies. You know, we're building here, and uh, one of the guys was like, now hang on a minute, where, you know, and I was like, well, all right, let's, let's review. Look at Leviticus 26. In Leviticus 26, you start verse 14. But if you will not hearken unto me and will not do all these commandments... How many of the commandments? All of them. And if ye shall despise my statutes, or if your soul abhor my judgments, so that ye will not do all my commandments, but that ye break my covenant, I also will do this unto you. Verse 16 and 17 is the first course of judgment against Israel. For doing what? What did Israel do? They disobeyed the word of God. See, their response was negative. So God's response is what? Negative. You're a vessel of dishonor. Verse 18. And if you will not yet for all this, all the stuff in verse 16 and 17, hearken unto me, then I will punish you seven times, notice that word, more, for your sins. So the first course is there. Then what happens? We got a second course right on top of the first course. The first course never went away. It's still there. Because now it's what? More. So now we got the second course of verse 21. 
And if you walk contrary unto me and will not hearken unto me, I will bring seven times what? More. You see, now we got the third. Now we're going to add more to it. So we're stacking them here. It isn't one course runs and it's over. It's one course has been running. Then a second course shows up. Then the third course shows up, verse 23. And if you will not be reformed by me, uh, by these things, but will walk contrary unto me, then will I also walk contrary unto you, and I will punish you yet seven times. Now we got the fourth course, and then the fifth course, verse 27. And if ye will not for all this hearken unto me, but walk contrary unto me, then I will walk contrary unto you also in fury, and I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins, and, and you shall eat, the, and, and down, verse 33, and I will scatter you among the heathen and will draw out a sword after you and your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. And that fifth course of judgment, that last course that's piled up on this stack is the issue of, Babel, is the issue of Gentile captivity. And they're out under the heathen and they're underneath Gentile rule and dominion. Now for Israel, the course in verse, if you look at verse 19... And I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heaven as iron and your earth as brass. Do you see the breaking of the pride of their power? That is Jeroboam and Rehoboam when they rip up the nation of Israel and they put ten tribes to the north and two to the south. They just broke up the nation. Now you think Jeroboam and Rehoboam did it, but what did Moses tell them was going to happen? Because this, this happens a few years after Moses <laughs> is gone, <laughs> actually several hundred years later, see. Moses tells them this. He repeats it, by the way, in Deuteronomy. He repeats all this in Deuteronomy to them. you got five courses coming at you. So they rip up. So the ten northern tribes, you go over to, uh, I believe it's Amos. Let me go look. I say it. Yep, Amos chapter 4. And in Amos chapter 4, you start in verse 6. And you run to verse 13, and in Amos 4, 6 to 13, the northern ten tribes fall under Assyrian captivity. The Assyrians come in, take them, and they take them quickly. Okay? But then what do we got down south? We got Judah and Benjamin, and Benjamin kind of melds into just Judah and the scriptures, okay? But Judah, Jerusalem, is sacked three times by Nebuchadnezzar. He comes in, he gets them. On the third time, Daniel 1, they carry him off into Babylonian captivity. So all of Israel is under Babylonian captivity, captive. They're all under Gentile captivity. When that starts, which is with Nebuchadnezzar, the fifth course, that's when the fifth course of judgment for Jerusalem starts, Israel starts, it goes all the way out to the millennial kingdom on their time. Now, take us out of the interruption, okay, in their history. It is designed to end with wrath, with the pouring out of the wrath. That whole time, Israel is a vessel of dishonor. Why? What did Israel do? They did not obey God's word. So as the potter, in response to that, what did he make them? Dishonor. He put them out underneath Gentile dominion. Do you, you follow that? All right, let's go have coffee and cake. <laughs> right? Because seriously, in Romans 9, that's what Paul's doing here. 
Paul's like, Israel, you don't even understand your own history. You, have not, you don't understand your own program. So go, go there to Romans 9. Let me give it to you. Let me show you. So in Romans 9, I'm going to do some up here on the board. In Romans 9, 20 and 21, all right, Old Testament, they are a vessel of dishonor. 9, 20 to 21. That's what they are. That's the fifth course of judgment. They sit there. And its design is to end in wrath. Have you ever wondered why in Acts 7, when Stephen looks up and sees the Lord standing, that that is such a prominent focal point in the book of Acts? It's a crisis point in Acts. I know what happens in 9, the interruption, but just let that close that part of the flap of the map, of, of the chart, and think about what was coming next. We did the thing in Daniel 9 back in last month about uh, in the fullness of the time was come, and I walked you through Daniel 9, that time schedule. You remember that? I hope you do. That was only two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Come on now. Help me here, okay? What was next on their calendar? Wrath, wars, and rumors of wars, and desolations, and plagues, and floods. Nothing good was due to them until the signing of the covenant with that Antichrist, which then starts the 70th week of Daniel. Okay, but what it's, where does it, it stops with that pouring out of the wrath. Now, that's going to be critical here as we go through. So, t Old Testament, we've got dishonor. Here's Calvary. Let's just do that. Okay, here we are in Calvary, <clears throat> and then we're going to write Acts 7 here. Here, they're the vessels of wrath. Look at verse 20. 922. 9.22. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? What's Israel's condition? They're a vessel of dishonor, but they're also a vessel of what? Wrath. Because in Acts 7. What's happening when Stephen sees him? He sees him standing. Acts 2, he tells the Lord, sit until I make your enemies your footstool. 7, he's standing up. Why? His enemies are ready to be made his footstool. He's ready to come back and clean up and do what Isaiah 2 and 3 and all the prophets say he's going to do in his coming. But notice it's vessels, plural. Who else is a vessel of wrath? The Gentile is, aren't they? Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. Romans 1 teaches us that three times God gave over the Gentiles. Gave them up. Gave them up. Gave them over to a reprobate mind. Why? He's, he, he ascribed the Gentiles to, to Satan. Let them have it. Went over, pulled out Abraham, said, I'm doing this. So the Gentiles also are vessels of wrath. Look at verse 24. 9.24, even us whom ye, he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the who? Gentiles. See, there we are. So as vessels of wrath, we have Israel, but we also have the Gentile, the heathen. What was going to get poured out when his pouring out happened of his wrath? 
He's going to come and avenge the enemies of Israel. Underneath that fifth course of judgment, did the Gentiles treat Israel with a lot of respect and love? The answer is no. I, I, be, I was reading a historical narrative, if you will, on Nineveh in Jonah's day. Nineveh made Rome, the Roman soldiers, look like Sunday school. They would take the Jewish slaves and skin them alive and then torture them even more. No wonder Jonah didn't want to go into Nineveh and preach to them. But the thing is, is the Gentiles did not treat Israel, the slave, in any No wonder Israel's pitching a fit now when Paul says, hey, salvation's gone to the Gentiles. What? Remember when we started, by the way, this is the lesson 105. Remember lesson one? Come on. What's the first, what's the title of this book we're studying? Romans. You come out of Acts, you come out of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and now you got a book written to Rome? And the ba-boom, the shock by the Jews, the community. Well, what's going on here? i got to get going, or we're not even off the first page here. Okay? So we have an interruption. We have the dispensation of grace. But now, okay? What does he say now? Verse 23. Verse 22 again, just so we catch it. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known? That's exactly what he said to Pharaoh. Back up there in verse 17. I'm coming after you to demonstrate my power and to make my name known. But rather, what does he do? Endureth with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of what? Uh-oh. Now he's changed his tune, hasn't he? Verse 24, not only to us, the Jews, but also to who? The Gentiles. What did he do? As the potter in the clay, the potter has the right to do what? Tear down this vessel, reshape the world into a vessel of mercy. You follow that? You see how Paul is just, he's moving right across the timeline here in chapter 9. He's not, it's not anything different. Now, after we're out, you have the 70th week. And then you have the millennial kingdom, okay? Verse 25, and as he, ha as he saith also in Osi, that's Hosea 1, I will call them my people which were not my people, and her beloved which was not my beloved. Out here, in, 9, in 925 down to, well, 27 there, Israel is a vessel of honor. He's moved them over. But not before going through what? The 70th week of Daniel, which sits in 9, 28 to 30, uh, 29. Okay, call it 29. In here, they're back to vessels, and he's doing stuff there. So literally, Daniel 9 here is going to, he's walking us through the history. That's what he's doing. In the millennial kingdom, they are reshaping Israel. He's going to take Israel, and he's going to reshape them into that vessel of honor. And why Paul brings it up 
is because one of the parts of this, con of this objection here of why does he yet find fault, why is he doing what he's doing, is what begins to now get raised is, is he really just completely done with us and our program, okay? The Calvinistic ideas and the Reformed theology ideas is that Israel t handled all the curses, and we today are spiritual Israel, and we get all the blessings. Where does that come from? It comes from this passage right here. Because they say God is what? Permanently done with Israel's program. But what does he say? Don't give up hope, Israel. Israel hope will still happen. And the interruption here is temporal. It's not permanent. So Israel, and by the way, we'll see it as we go down through the passage here. All this is introduction. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you what, I put this together. I'm sitting there, you know, and I was a little angry at the football games last night. I don't know why. I've got no team in them, but I was just like, so I got a lot on my paper, I guess. The thing is, is Paul's going to get down here and he's going to say, hey, Israel, your program's going to get back on track. And oh, by the way, the wrath is coming. Don't think just because he interrupted it right when the wrath was supposed to come that the wrath ain't going to come because guess what? It's coming. And that's verse 28. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And as Isaiah saith before, except the Lord of Saboth hath had left us a seed, we had been at Sodom and been made like unto Gomorrah. By the way, the, the Lord of Saboth, that is not Sabbath. That's Saboth. It's a different title. We'll talk about it. That means the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the armies, the Lord of war, the Lord of battle. And uh, misnomer is that that really should be Sabbath. He's not. The Lord of Sabbath has to do with over here. The Lord of Saboth has to do with that 70th week and the second coming. Okay? So go back up to verse 22, and let's just get some of the, the information here and, and see some of the details. Basically, what Paul's doing by invoking Jeremiah 18 in the potter and the clay is he's reminding Israel of a precedent that the problem isn't God. The problem is you, Israel. The problem isn't the potter. The problem is in the clay. The clay is marred. Remember, we looked at marred. And we go back into Jeremiah 13 and marred, and it means of no profit. There's nothing valuable there. There's actually, it's profitless. Actually, you should just pitch it out and start all over again. You know, he was going to do that with, when Moses kind of corrected him and said, you can't do that. <laughs> you gave us your word. You know, God was ready to, boom, be done with him. And Moses reminded him, and God, you know, moved on. So God... So Paul brings it up so that they would know that the problem isn't with God, it's with them. So Israel, if you change your ways, then God will what? Repent, change his mind and the way he thinks about you, and he'll reshape you. And by the way, he did that with all through Israel's history. Israel comes out of, out of Egypt, a mixed multitude. By the way, clay, mixed, that's marred. It's not pure, it's not right. He gets over there with David, King David. They were, mar they were vessels of dishonor under Saul. David was to be their king. 
Now they're vessels of honor, displaying his glory. Solomon, honor, boom, until the end, and now the, then they become dishonor. Why? Because they didn't follow the word of God. And what Paul's doing is, is he's like, Israel, God is responding to your faith or lack of faith. And he has every right to determine your status because he made you. He formed you. He's the one that began, started all this. He has the right to come along and to reshape you. And he does that based on your response to his word because God values, he honors, he respects, he loves free will and choice and a choice in the matter. You have it. Here, that's why we look at Leviticus 26. If you won't hearken, then this is what's coming. By the way, we didn't finish reading. He tells them how to get out of it. And then he tells them later on in 26, when you get out of it, this is what I'm going to do to you because you're my people now. That's why all through the Old Testament there's that allure to, I'm going to marry them, I'm going to give them a bill of divorcement, I'm going to do this. We get down and look at Hosea 1 next time, hopefully, if I get that far this morning. Then what happens is, is he goes in, he tells Hosea, you go do this, you go do that, and it's a picture of what I'm going to do one right. But right now, in the fifth course, they're, they're not my people. They're vessels of dishonor. So verse 22. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? So historically, where Paul is when he in his ministry, Israel is that not only that vessel of dishonor, but they're also that vessel of wrath. Again, that fifth course began. The Babylonian captivity, and it's going to run all the way down. Come back with me to Psalms 2. He's going to run all the way down to where he's going to pour out his wrath. And that's what Paul is reminding them. He says, remember, God said, I'm going to pour out my wrath on you. I'm going to take that potter's vessel. We looked at it last time. And you go over there, Jeremiah, and you bust that thing into thousands of pieces. You pulverize it. So much so that you can't even pick up one and put it back in the fire to restart all over again. Remember that? Please say yes. Just say yes. Make me feel good, okay? He says, hey, you go over there. I'm going to break that thing up and just destroy it. Look at Psalms 2. Look at verse 1. Why do the heathen rage? Heathen. Who are that? Who's that? The Gentiles. And the people, there's Israel, imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying. Now, you get over in John 1, and you find out the, his anointed is Christ. Okay? So the, the kings of the earth and the rulers, there's Israel again. What are they doing? They're conspiring against God's, they're conspiring against the Son. L saying, here's what they say, let us break their bands asunder, and cast away their, their cords from us. So we're going to go get him. Acts 4, Acts 7, we're going to bust him up. The bands and the cords there, they bind the Lord as he goes to Calvary. They're all pictures here of Calvary and what they're doing to the Lord. Now, But watch verse 4. He sitteth 
in the heavens, he that sitteth in the heavens, shall, what? Laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Now, he's not laughing as in, ha, 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 funny joke, you know. Knock, knock, who's there? You know, he's not like that. He's laughing in the matter of, watch what I'm going to, I told you what I was going to do to you. Now, watch what I'm going to do to you. Verse 5, then shall he speak unto them in his grace and longsuffering and love and, uh, no, 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 in his what? In his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Who's the them? The Gentiles and the people, the ones that are raging, the ones that have conspired against the, the, the Messiah. What's he going to pour out on them? Wrath. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. And you go and run that down in Acts 13, and Paul, in Acts 13, 33. And Paul says, when he said that, it is a reference to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, that, that, so what do we have? We have cow, the people raging... The Lord shows up, Calvary, and the resurrection. But what's coming? Wrath. Verse 8. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. There's the millennial kingdom. But watch verse 9. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. There's the wrath. There's the 70th week. You follow that? You see what's happening? Paul is telling, come back to Romans 9. Historically, guys, you are not only the vessels of dishonor, but you are also the vessels of wrath. And because of Psalms 2, he's going to pour out his wrath, and he's going to break you, he's going to break you up. That's why in Acts 7, come over there and look at that. So you see it, Acts 7, Acts 7. Historically, this is, where, this is why Acts 7 is such a critical component. There are three crisis points in the book of Acts. Acts 2, Acts 7, Acts 9. Because in 2, you have the day of Pentecost, being fulfilled. That's a tremendous moment in Israel's history. Acts 7, you've got this event, and in Acts 9, you've got the interruption. Okay? After that, it's just regular, regular information. Look at verse 50. Well, just jump in. 54. You've got the stoning of Stephen here. Stephen, a man full of the Holy Ghost. They've killed, they killed the father when they killed John the Baptist, the picture. They killed the son when they crucified the Lord Jesus Christ. So now they gotta go, they're going after the Holy Spirit, i.e., through Stephen. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they loved on him with their teeth. <laughs> no. What did, by the way, what did they hear? What made them so upset? Because up, uh, all Stephen did was rehearse their history with them. That's all he did, except for verse 51. See, what did they hear? They heard verse 51. 
when the pronouncement of the Godhead the Holy, through the Holy Spirit is what? Ye stiff-necked and what? Uncircumcised in hearts. You know why in Galatians 2 Paul says, I'm going to go to the heathen, and everybody pitch, and Peter's, and then we're going to go to the circumcision, and everybody pitches a fit about that. You know who the heathen are? Unsaved Israel. Uncircumcised in hearts and ears Israel and the, and the Gentiles. The circumcision, that's the believing remnant. Well, how do you know that? What did Acts 7.51 just call? What did Stephen, through the Holy, Ghost, Holy Spirit, just call him? Uncircumcised. You go back to Genesis back there where the circumcision is instituted, Genesis um, 17. And he says that the man that's uncircumcised is cut off from the land and cut off from the covenant. What's the condition of Israel in Acts 7? Fifth course of judgment. They are cut off. They're accursed. And everybody, you know, it's just like, shut up and read and study. Don't run your mouth before you know what you're talking about. It's amazing to me. I'm sorry. I just, you know, I had that week, you know. It's like, give me a break. Look at what the verses say. Ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. So when they heard that, when they heard that, what'd they do to him? Verse 55, but he being full of the Holy Ghost looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And, and when he had said this, he fell asleep. You know what happened? He claims the same thing Christ did on the cross. The problem is, is it's too late here. Because it's time for the wrath. And the guy consenting to it, 8-1, the guy given the approval is Saul of Tarsus, later to become Paul the Apostle, who, were, who then writes Romans 9 that says, listen, Israel, you don't understand your own history. <laughs> because right here, we were vessels fitted for wrath. Come over to 2 Peter 3. I get a little excited about this, sorry. Try not to wear you out a little. Second Peter 3. Now you've got Peter. Now Peter's the head of the apostles. He's, a, he's the bigwig. He's the first pope, you know. See, he's it. Now watch what he says. Because Second Peter is, is Paul's on the scenes. The dispensation of grace is going, and Peter's beginning to have to answer some questions there. The scoffers are going to say, you know, in verse 4, where is the promise of his kingdom? Isn't that like man? God, well, look at verse 9. The, Peter answers him. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is, what? Long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. Why would they perish? Wrath is coming. The wrath was to be poured out but that all should come to repentance. Peter answering the question of why the delay. He says, God was being long-suffering to us. He doesn't want any of us to perish. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come. 
as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? You know what Peter says? Peter says, guys, at the point in Acts 7, it was time for us to be pulverized, dissolved. What a great description of a nuclear blast. If you think of how we think about things today, how would a first century Jew describe a nuclear bomb going off? Well, the aftermath is what? There's nothing left. But what did Psalms 2 say he was going to do with the potter's vessel? Break it into pulverize it. Nothing left. And he says, hey, Peter, hey, you know what? Don't blame God for the delay. He could have poured out the wrath, but he didn't. You see that? Verse 9 but is long-suffering to us. We're, we're vessels fitted for wrath. <laughs> Peter says, but he didn't. He didn't do it. He's not slack. He will do this one day. I think about Peter looking at him going, what's your rush, guys? Good grief. You want this to come right now, and it is not good. Why? Because you don't know your program. You don't know, you, what, you don't know the details of your own program. By the way, look at verse 8. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And you know what? Every one of us, that includes me, say, see, a day is a thousand. So you go back there to Genesis 1, and it's a day is really a thousand, so it's really six thousand. And you know what? That is not what that verse is talking about. You know what a day with the Lord is? It's a 24-hour day. You know what that verse is talking about? In God's mind, it doesn't matter if it's one day or a thousand years, I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. What's man's viewpoint? Well, if it didn't happen in the last ten minutes, it ain't happening. See, that's not, that's not a time issue. It's a viewpoint issue. How does man view this? Man says... man. What's taking so long? God has abandoned us. You know what faith would have said? Doesn't matter how long it's going to take, he's going to do it. That's what Peter's driving at. That's why there in verse 12, the in, or verse 11 there, ought you to, what manner of persons ought you to be? You should be a person of faith, Israel. Faith said, doesn't say, how long has it been? By the way, do you know how long this is after Paul has showed up? maybe within 15 years, and they're already fretting. Where's it going? It ain't here yet. What's going on? Why is that? Unbelief. Because who's been in their midst working and operating? The Apostle Paul has. He's been into the synagogues. He's been out there teaching. They know Paul. By the way, you know how they know Paul? Look at verse 15. And an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Look at what look, Peter looks and says, listen, guys, the wrath of God will come. The day of the Lord will come. What's your rush? What's your hurry? Right now, we're vessels of mercy. We're vessels of long-suffering. Boring you, aren't I? <laughs> 
And he says, hey, you want to understand the long-suffering, verse 15, even as our beloved Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own. Own he says, listen, you want to know why the long suffering's going on? You go read Paul. But when you read Paul, be careful, because could you imagine, a, here you are, a card-toting, law-keeping Jew, and you read the book of Galatians, and you find out that circumcision it don't mean nothing, <laughs> availeth nothing. You know, like, oh, man, you know. They were, actually, you go back in Acts 20, 21 there, the, Paul shows up with James, and they're already mad at Paul, and that's early Acts ministry-wise. For, for speaking out against Moses. <laughs> Peter says, look, guys, come back to Romans 9. Long-suffering. And you need to go to Paul to understand that. So where would they go to Paul to understand it? How about Romans 9, 10, and 11? Here they are. Here's the, yeah, the history. Here it is. Here's the record. This is how you... Go back over there, study your Bibles out, get your books out, get the epistles out, and let's get on with it. 9.22, what if God willing to show his wrath? Was God willing to show his wrath? Yes. He's the potter. The time's right. It's time to pour him out. It's time to pour out the wrath. And to make his, what? Power known. Ain't no question about who he is. Endured with much long-suffering. The vessels of wrath fit. You know what the potter did? He reshaped. He said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do something else. And I'm going to take the vessels. Again, don't miss the plurality. That's a Jew and a Gentile. And I'm going to make them into something else now. Verse 23. And that he might... Make known the riches of his glories on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. So God has reshaped you, Israel, but he's also reshaped the Gentiles. And he's made them, both are fitted for wrath, both are on the road to destruction. But now he has come in and today, in the dispensation of grace, God is going to be long-suffering. So there's a dispensational reason why God's doing what he's doing, which goes back to that issue we studied under Pharaoh, that poke in the eye to the adversary about, hey, you think earth is done for, you've lost the heavenly places as well. And that's going to be verse 23, making known the riches of his glory. So today, God is being long-suffering. And what Israel needs to learn is that God had the right to reshape Israel and the rest of the world. Because in doing that, what did he do? He's accomplishing another purpose, a secondary issue over here. Now, come over to 1 Thessalonians 2. And let's kind of massage this out here for the next 15 minutes. 1 Thessalonians 2, if you look at verse 14. 
The Jews did not understand this at all. All they saw was a man that was once their leader in the rebellion against the way. Now turncoat, traitor, liar. That's why he starts nine. I didn't lie. I'm, I'm not lying. 2.14. For ye, brethren, become followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. By the way, why are they in Christ? If they're in Christ Jesus, where are they? In Christ Jesus. Man's either in two places, in Adam or in Christ, no matter where you're at in your scripture, Genesis or Revelation. If they're the believing remnant, where are they? In Christ. Duh. If they're in Adam, then they're the apostate nation. See, this isn't the body of Christ starting back in Matthew 2, 3. This is where they're at. But that's not the point in 2.14, by the way. The point is, for ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved. Here's the point. To fill up their sin always. For the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. The point in 2, 14, 15, and 16 is, is we're out here trying to promote the dispensation of grace and the message and see Gentiles get saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And the Jews don't understand a word. And they're persecuting us. And they're dogging us over here. And we're, the, we're, we're preaching the message and the program that's holding back the what? The wrath. They want, the, they want us out of the way so that they can go on and walk on into the millennial kingdom, but what have they forgot? The wrath. See, they think somebody else is going to do that because we're God's people. See, that's the point here. The point is, is they are protesting the very program that's holding back the wrath. Uh, you're in Thessalonians. Come back to 2 Corinthians 5 and get Romans 11. What the Jews don't understand, and why Paul is drilling home the point, bringing up the potter and the clay, and doing, going through the, the three objects. By the way, for you and I, today, in the age of grace, we may not deal with the Jew in, that's this angry, but we do deal with the religionists that are this angry. And I say religionists because that's a, that, that covers everybody from A to Z. Because what happens? You and I start talking about the dispensation of grace, and the next thing you know, you're an anti-Semitic because you don't like Jews, which is not the case at all. Why do they say that? They don't understand the program. I said it last week. Nine out of ten times when somebody hiccups through Romans 9, 10, and 11, and you start talking to them, they do not, capital D-O, capital N-O-T, shout it from the mountaintops, understand Israel's program. Because if they did, then they would understand the allusion by Paul to the potter, to Moses, to Pharaoh, to Abraham, and Ishmael, Isaac, and all that. They usually don't. We get over into chapter 11, and we start talking about the grafting in thing, and everybody you know, breaks their full neck trying to figure that out. But you know, in Israel's program, there is a grafting in, and Paul's just using that same 
teaching method, what happens when you graph two things together? You get something new, don't you? Usually. <laughs> There's a whole, all, here it is. Look at Romans 11. Look at Romans 11. Look at verse 15. Got to start in verse 11. I say then, have they stumbled, that they here is Israel, that they should fall. God forbid. Well, where did they stumble? We're going to read in Romans 9 that they stumbled over, over, over Christ, the stumbling stone, the end of Romans 9. But rather through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. So they do fall. The fall is Acts 7. Okay? That's where the fall happens. Salvation is going to the Gentiles now. Why? To provoke them to jealousy. Paul's Acts ministry is designed, and what he does in Acts 9 to 28 is designed to provoke Israel to jealousy. It is not to demonstrate, the book of Acts is not to demonstrate the historical beginning of the church, the body of Christ. Paul establishes that in 1 Timothy 1 when he says, I'm the pattern, I'm the first guy in. Everything else is after me. End of story. End of discussion. Verse 12. Now if the fall of them be the riches of the who? The world. What's happening? Israel is being reshaped. They're being moved. But so is the world. Verse 15. For if the casting away of them, again, who? Israel, be the reconciling of the world. What shall the receiving of them be but life from the... What's going on with the world now? Think about Israel. They've fallen. But through their fall, salvation is now going to the Gentiles. And the only way he can do that is by what? Reshaping the world. 2 Corinthians 5. What's the status of the world prior to Israel's fall? Wrath. Judgment. I gave them up. I gave them over. You're on your own. Good luck. 2 Corinthians 5. Look, if you will, at verse 19. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Now, by the way, reconcile. That word reconcile doesn't mean eternal justification from the lake of fire and hell and dam and all that stuff. The word reconcile means to restore the relationship. You have two warring parties and you reconcile back. You have peace. You have God. He's given up the world. Turned it over to Satan. The prince, the power of the air. You're on your own. But now, through Calvary, what has he done? He's restoring that relationship so that he can do what? Send Paul out, send the message out to the world, to the Gentiles. He couldn't do that prior to that. Matthew 10, the 12 go to who? No Gentiles, no Samaritans, lost sheep of the house. The Lord says, I ain't sent, but the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He won, because we go here. We got, now we've, he's changed the status. But keep reading verse 19. Not imputing their trespasses unto them. If he imputed the trespasses of the world unto them, what would he have to do? Pour out his wrath. Imputing, put it to their account. He would have to pour out his wrath. But he says what? I've changed that status from vessels of wrath to vessels of mercy, to vessels of long-suffering, so I can hold back that judgment right now. I have the right to do that. Why? Because I'm the potter. I'm the, I'm the guy, I'm the one. And hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. 
Now then, we are ambassadors of, of Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. There's two reconcilings. There's a reconciling of the world, the system, the whole of it, and then there's a reconciling of you. There's your eternal justification. You be reconciled. Why? Because i got a job for you to go do out to the world. You're my ambassador. You follow that? Go back to Romans 9. That's what he's doing here. Romans 9. All right. Romans 9, 23. And that he might make known the riches of... By the way, Israel had no clue of that. They didn't understand any of that. Paul's telling them. Watch him tell them, verse 23. And that he might make known the riches of his glories on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. The riches of his glory on who? The vessels of mercy. Look, Israel, he's reshaped you from wrath and dishonor to mercy because he's got something he wants to do with you that entails the riches of his glory. Are you with me or did I lose you? I hope you're with me. Okay. What's he doing here? Now, by the way, there are no details of the riches of his glory in the book of Romans. Do you know where you find the details of the riches of his glory? The book of Ephesians. Come over to Ephesians. It's fascinating. Paul gives no details, just as he did about the, the, the rapture and, and us going home. He mentions it. You're, you're glorified. You're, you're, you're going to get a new body and all this. But he doesn't give you the details. He just says, this is you. Why? Because the details come later. Because the book of Ephesians is a little more advanced doctrine, just a little bit. But it's the next step. Ephesians 1, look at verse 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Isn't that wonderful? His grace provides redemption, provides eternal life, provides everything that we've learned in the book of Romans. But that's not all that it accomplished. In the, look at the rest of that verse. According to the what? The riches of his grace. You see, in Ephesians, we're going to the next level of accomplishment here of what God's grace is designed to accomplish. Verse 8, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all, I'm, I'm sorry, verse 18. <laughs> the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that, he, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. You see how in verse 7, we got you eternally justified, eternal life, you're set to go. And then in verse 18, he moves you right to the riches of his glory. And he's going to then begin to detail, chapter 2, verse 7, that in the ages of come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus, chapter 3, verse 8, Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, 3.16, that he might grant you according to the riches of his glory. You see, Ephesians is full of wealth and riches. But in 9, Romans 9, he says, Listen, he moved you guys, he reshaped everybody, 
because he's got a plan that entails the riches of his glory. And it's like Paul saying, now I'm not going to get into those details yet. We'll get those over in a little bit. But right now, you need to understand that why God's doing what he's doing to you, Israel, and what he's, why he's doing to the nations out there, the Gentiles, is because he's got a plan and a purpose that's going to entail the riches of his glory being shed, out on, shed on you. Now, into verse 23, which he had afore prepared unto glory. Which he had, what, afore? Doesn't that sound like before the foundation of the world? That's when Paul, that's when he developed it. Before, aforetime. You see, God has the right to reshape Israel based on Israel's response to him. But he also has the right to reshape the world. And he can do that because he's willing to shower the vessels of mercy with the riches of his glory. Ephesians will deal with all that wealth. But here, verse 23, which he had afforded prepared, God's plan, his wisdom, his grace, everything he's got going is vested in what he's doing in the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is made up of a Jew and a Gentile that's had their status reshaped. And that's what Paul's getting at. The riches. He's going to use these redeemed vehicles, vessels, for his plan and his eternal purpose in the heavenly places. I, I, I think about known the riches he's intensifying here it gets better and better you see the guy that that won the powerball the other day you know three quarters of a billion dollars or whatever it was well i don't remember you know whatever it was you know that poor guy is going to have trouble all the, the rest of his life because those kind of riches don't get better and better our riches spiritual riches get what better and be intensify now, don't get me wrong. If you want to write me a check, I'll be glad to work it out for you. But Paul here, Israel, why are you objecting? If you would just come and understand what God's doing, then you wouldn't object. You would be rejoicing. That's why he says, verse 24, even us, whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles, called. Well, what did he call everybody to? Well, verse 23, to what? To the riches of his glory. That's what he called them to. Not soul salvation, not getting justified. By the way, that's already been dealt with in Romans 1 to 5. We're down the road from that. Okay? God has called the believer, the vessels of mercy, unto glory. So it's a calling here to glory. Again, details in Ephesians. But here, in dealing with the objection, he's talking to that nation of Israel out there saying, listen, guys, you have been reshaped to the vessels of mercy, but so has the Gentiles. And, he, and God can do both. 
because he's a merciful God, Moses. He can do both because Pharaoh, he's got a, an agenda against the adversary to accomplish. He can do both because his word is reliable, and, he's, and he gave a word before the foundation of the world. He, he can do it. Then in verse 25, real quick, as he sa- and we'll pick up in verse 25. As he saith in, Ho- in Osi, and again, that's Hosea. Verse 27, Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel. There's Isaiah. Paul reminds Israel now that just by quoting Hosea and quoting Isaiah, Hosea and Isaiah, that just because your program has been interrupted doesn't mean it's a permanent scenario. God will finish out your program, and that entails the wrath falling on you and you having to go through the wrath. Because the part of your program that hasn't been worked out all the way, a component of it, is the wrath. So verse 28, for he will finish the work. That's what's coming. And who's going to do it is the Lord of Sabaoth, i.e. the Lord of the armies, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of battle, and that's what's going to happen here. So Israel, don't relax and think you're out of the, you know, the crosshairs. Because God has not permanently ended your program. He will restore you, and he is going to pour out his wrath. Okay? Now, we'll pick up in verse 25. We did get through there, and I owe you a couple minutes. We'll get it at the end of the year, okay? All right. A lot going on here, but you've got to catch what, what Paul's doing here. All right? All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we just thank you for who we are in your Son, for all the spiritual blessings, for everything that you've given to us in, in, in him. And we can just simply say thank you for that, and that is suffice. But also, Lord, we need to go and live it. And that's really what you're after. In your name we pray. Amen.